0: Lisa, I am super excited that we got a voicemail from a listener. You might want to take a listen.
1: Hi, Shauna. I just wanted to let you know that I was I've been enjoying your podcast. and in particular, one really hit home. I think you did one with uh, Dr. Lisa called "What's in a Title," and it featured Col- Colonel Spencer, and it was a really good podcast. But a couple of days after that, after I listened to it, it was the Vice, the, the last presidential debate with Donald Trump and Biden, and when it came to asking questions about COVID, when Trump was giving his COVID responses, he kept talking about Anthony, Anthony, Anthony. I was like, who is Anthony? And I was like, oh my God, is that Dr. Fauci? That wasn't a good name drop. That was actually a slight. That was a, a purposeful and intentional demotion of of character and of status. That. He doesn't even consider him um, a meritable or comparable person because he refused to acknowledge what he really is. And I thought he was referring to this like a regular staffer. So I just wanted to let you know that your podcast was spot on. And that was just a perfect example in the public eye about what's in a title. And, you know, when he was talking about the potential Supreme Court nominee, Barrett at the time, oh my God, he added every, I think he added even down to her kindergarten record. He added all her accolades. Every time he can, he just packed her name with credentials. So that's a stark opposite. And you know what, Um, what, you know, all you have is your name and your name sometimes is what precedes you. So yes, use the title or not. And that really depends on how somebody respects you. All right, keep up the good work. Huh,
2: that was really interesting. I love it that we got a voicemail.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exa- well, you know, we're in the age of multimedia right now. So um, clearly people want to contact us in different ways, which I appreciate. But, you know, I really thought that was a unique point that, mm-hmm. you know, if someone wants to take power away from someone that they will alter their titles, their name, what have you. Um, and I think that's an important point to be aware of, especially in response to our podcast with with Colonel. So I think that's really important. What do you think?
2: Um, I actually remember him saying Anthony or, or mm. Anthony Fauci and mm-hmm. it went over my head. Like I didn't catch it in the moment as a slight. So um, our listener pointing that out. Thank you very much. Because I was like, Oh yes. And it's interesting, right? Because you've got two white men there. Um, and one uh, white guy is trying to belittle a second white guy, likely because of the second white guy's kind of Reputation, educational stature, a mm-hmm. professional history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I was, that was a little lesson for me. I was like, darn it, I missed it.
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I always kick myself when I miss things like that. But, you know, I think it's a great example of how we do this for a living, we do this for our bread and butter, and we still miss things because we're humans trying to just simply pick up on things that are going on around us. I really appreciated that example. I actually went back and YouTubed it to try to listen for myself to hear it one more time. And yeah, Camille was right on it. So thank you for for dropping that voicemail. And please uh, send us more as you listen to the podcast. And um, Lisa and I are always excited to get emails, voicemails, voice notes, you name it, look a pigeon in the sky, a post it, send (laughs) us whatever you like. And uh, we look forward to responding to them. So um, Lisa, I really enjoyed that one. That was a good one.
2: (laughs) Yes, great. So what are we going to talk about today?
0: Oh, today is a good one. You know, I work with a lot of organizations. And right now in 2020, we're really trying to figure out how to quote unquote, fix this DEI issue. And a lot of organizations don't know where to start. So um, a lot of them are throwing lots of things up against the, the wall to see if it sticks. So I think we need to look at corporate social responsibility here. What do you think?
2: I think that's great. And it sounds like there might be some spaghetti in this conversation. So, uh, <laughs> folks, join us for a spaghetti dinner after the break. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingerfield, and I go by she, her, hers.
0: Welcome to unfazed a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So, Lisa, I've been really thinking about our approach and and what Mm -hmm. I mean by that are organizational approaches, right? Because I think we've talked a lot about individuals and individual perspectives, even individual responses to all that's going on in the world as it relates to equity, inclusion, exclusion people's sense of belonging, people's sense of just mattering in general. And, you know, what's been really peculiar for me, both in my professional day job and also um, in the other work that I do with other organizations, is that they are drafting these huge, long, verbose, you name it, solidarity statements Um, Of course, again, with some of the greatest intentions for many of them, and I stand back and I wonder, you know, are they really saying anything in these statements, right? Like, what's really going on here? Is this um, a performance or is this real? And what do we do with them? So um, I don't know if any of the organizations you're affiliated with are crafting these solidarity statements. I know a lot of folks did um, after Mm -hmm. George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. But yeah, these solidarity statements, what do you think about them and how they connect to these organizations?
2: It is an interesting question that you pose, Shauna. I think that after George Floyd was murdered, we did see a significant uptick in the number of organizations um, espousing solidarity messages or, you know, standing with Black Lives Matter um, and really uh, trying to take a stand where they may previously have not done. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's, uh, you know, Instagram was littered with these statements and, you know, the cynic in me is what does this mean? What does this do? Right. Um, how are you actually going to kind of follow through and operationalize, I suppose that statement. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. the other piece was like, that's an important step, right. In the endurance sport community where we still have this kind of prevailing opinion that sport and culture, sport and politics do not mix, which, you know, you and I advocate is, um, Poppycock! (laughs) I actually don't know. Is that like is that a term that you use here in the US? Poppycock. Like I still feel like sometimes. No, no, (laughs) at least not for me. (laughs) Okay, so poppycock means like bullshit, basically. Um, It's just a nice way of saying it. So I love um, it. I love it. You know, but I think equally, I definitely noticed, perhaps more so, the organisations who did not say anything right? Mm -hmm. Um, That Mm -hmm. silence almost was louder for me than the organizations that just kind of did the obligatory solidarity statement. Um, So kind of the absence of a message Mm -hmm. was something Mm -hmm. I noticed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: and that's the thing, though, the people that are most affected were the ones that were sitting there waiting. And, you know, I think what was really interesting, especially being a black person in the United States and paying attention to my circles of friends and family and people I care about and people I value their opinion. Not only was there an expectation that was still sitting there in the silence, but there was also a unstated time limit. Like, you know, it's been too long. What's taken you so long? <laughs> and, and part of me was like, absolutely, I agree. And I also would like to discuss how long is too long. Is it a day? Is it a week? Is it a month? How long is truly too long? Is too long just when you get sick and tired of waiting? Or what does that look like as well? But um, I think it it is an interesting concept to think about how we splinter this thing out. So we're talking about at least three different groups here, right? So a group of folks who authentically make a solidarity statement, and they want to back it up. Mm-hmm. A group of folks that write a solidarity statement that may read good. And then you can tell the lack of roots in their work around DEI because they look around and say, okay, now what, you know, what, what, what should I do now? You know, we wrote this lovely statement and now I feel like we're not done, but I'm not quite sure what to do. And then you have the folks that are silent and they may never say something or they may also, and I'm using this word loosely, they may also feel as if they're being bullied into saying something, which I still question the authenticity of that. Are you saying something just mm. because, you know, um, people of color affiliated or, or whomever may have been disenfranchised that are affiliated with your organization got ticked off enough <laughs> waiting on you to say something? And OK, fine. Let's 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 launch a solidarity statement. You know, even that, I think, is truly um, something to be aware of. And so, you know, corporations that think they're not being watched, they are being watched. People are waiting to see what you do and what you don't do. Symbolic leadership is important, you know, in addition to all those other things. But you do have to put out there what you truly believe. You have to stand for something. Mm-hmm. And so what is that something in particular?
2: You know, and it is curious to me because... um you know, police brutality against uh, communities of color is not new. And there have been sadly numerous men and women who have been harmed um, and murdered over the last decade that we are um, aware of because of the advent of videoing on your phone, right? So I'm certainly not Mm -hmm. saying that this just began a decade ago. I'm saying that we have white people in particular have become more aware of it since it's been videoed. So then mm-hmm. I asked out- well like, so why now? Right. So to your point that have all of these organizations that kind of flooded social media oh yeah um in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, um was it simply pressure from their customers and their audience um that tipped them versus George Floyd's murder? Right. Because we could list off tons and tons, sadly, horrifically, men and women. Right. But nothing happened, at least kind of from an endurance sports perspective. And maybe I I didn't, you know, I just don't remember seeing that um, for Sandra Bland. Bland, Right. Like that was my British accent coming out there, blonde. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, (laughs) um, you know, I just, so I, I, that was really curious to me. And I feel like if you're going to, take on this kind of ethical stance, this corporate responsibility, corporate social responsibility, like why haven't you done it sooner? I suppose.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why haven't you done it sooner? And, you know, also to, you know, <laughs> the, the time frame. what's making 2020 different from any year when it comes to social justice. And so, you know, I'm going back to your point of, you know, the cynic in you, well, the, there's a cynic in me as well thinking, okay, is 2020 going to be different? It feels a little different, but is it going to have teeth? Is it going to mm. um, have some longevity to it? And so, you know, that kind of goes back to our point of the the spaghetti is that you know, yes, a lot of people are throwing a lot of things up against the wall, and I'm wondering if it's going to stick. Corporations are kind of haphazardly and randomly throwing things up against the wall, seeing if it's going to stick, and so I wonder um, in the almost panic or the franticness of oh Mm -hmm. we need to respond in some way what does that mean as far as the lack of strategy (laughs) around actually doing the work so you know yeah organizations are like oh my god we have to do something yes and that something needs to be well thought out rolled out well vetted by the uh, the organizations and the groups that's supposed to benefit it's supposed to be well-funded. It's supposed to be well-resourced in addition to money. All those things that need to be put in place so that it, is, it isn't just spaghetti falling off a wall. And so, you know, how do we help organizations and even, you know, the endurance community in total, how do we help them to see that even working with uh, working with urgency, it still needs to be very methodical? And And I think that's what happens when <laughs> we just kind of, do it. You know, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. look, we must do something. Mm-hmm. Forget that there's, you know, professionals out here that do it for a living. Maybe we should call them. You know, I, I think that's something we really need to consider. Are we being methodical in mm-hmm. our approach, even with our urgency?
2: Yeah, that's kind of this unfazed, no, the fa- sorry, phased approach. Um, and people have, or organizations have been maybe kind of falling into an unfazed approach, right? And I just love mm-hmm. the way you framed mm-hmm. that, that there is urgency. But urgency doesn't mean you have to be frantically scrambling um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to put something out or to make changes, right? Because those that's are right. unlikely to be sustainable. So that's I right. think you can have urgency and, and a methodical process. Like, I don't think that those two are mutually exclusive. So I really appreciate how you framed that.
0: Yeah, well, and, you know, I, I think that's where we have to really think about long lasting change, right? So, because uh, again, going back to our point, um, I, I can't remember where I heard this earlier today, but um, someone mentioned to me, you know, the reason why this is urgent um, and the reason why it's being treated in urgent ways is because it's being treated as if it's w- another box or another line on someone's to-do list. Let's get it done and move on to the next thing. When it's not a get it done, it's a do it and consistently do it over time. Mm-hmm. And so the the urgency becomes, oh my God, what can I do quickly? Um, almost low-hanging fruit type thing. And I'm like, mm, I, I think I'm at a place now where when it comes to corporate social responsibility I respect the organizations who consistently communicate with us what they're doing and what they're going to do Mm -hmm. and also they have baked it into the structure of their communication and their practice without oh we're going to make this huge solidarity statement that's you know, the the best thing ever written. And then everyone looks around and says, okay, what do we do now? And it's archived somewhere and we forget about it (laughs) until God forbid the next George Mm -hmm. Floyd happens and the next Breonna Taylor happens. And so, you know, I I wonder about this longevity. Is it going to stick? Is it really going to stick? And and how do we know the signs of it sticking? Right. So, you know, Mm -hmm. do we have to wait, you know, a year, three years, five years, 10 years to see if something actually stuck? Um, That's I'm giving folks the side eye on that for sure.
2: Mm -hmm. I hope we're not waiting 10 years. That feels like an unnecessarily long amount of time. Absolutely. Um, But your comment you made um, about the lack of roots, right? These solidarity statements that come out and then you don't hear a peep from those organizations after the solidarity statement, after, you know, maybe um, a couple of Instagram posts. Um, And I do think that demonstrates that there's a lack of roots or a lack of real committed interest and it becomes more about we want to appear as though we have this connection to social responsibility, social justice, social change, but really we're not that interested in doing the work. And I think about that with diversity committees. Um, I've been at a number of organizations that have established diversity committees after something has happened, Um, but those diversity committees have no resources. They are not given any resources Um, and suggestions Mm -hmm. that they make are often not implemented right so it becomes Mm -hmm. this kind of window dressing to the organization um to quote unquote prove that you know their spaghetti has stuck but really it's it's all fabricated
0: yeah yeah it is all fabricated and um, I'm going to go back to my uh my friend Daryl Lovett who um normally talks about uh, task forces should really be named tax forces because they use up a lot of people's time. Um, I shared with him once on his podcast around um, these tax forces, if you will, if you look at everybody's on everybody that's on the committee, how many people are on the committee, how many hours they put in the work and then multiply that times the amount they make in salary per hour. And you will see how taxing it is to both the individuals and the organizations. I'm not interested in wasting time in that way. And I'm not saying that every suggestion needs to be folded in, but when you see the majority of the suggestions are then um, being explained away with these perfectly logical explanations as to why that won't work. Um, So for example, I've been on those committees that were those, you know, search and hire committees and the excuses, well, it's going to cost more to recruit that population. Well, If you're invested in recruiting and hiring that population, then you're willing to expend that amount of money. Mm -hmm, If you're not mm -hmm. interested in that, then why are you wasting my time per hour to sit in this conversation when we know that you're not going to take in consideration the suggestions? And so, you know, given that, are are organizations being taxing in the work that they're doing or are they uh, requiring everyone involved in the organization to Uh, to rise altogether to the task of DEI work. And that's not to say that everyone needs to lead the charge, but um, I don't think there's anyone in the organization that can or should be exempt from the gritty, nasty, dirty, messed Mm -hmm. up, circular, sometimes frustrating work. Mm -hmm. Um, Similar to spaghetti, you know, it's it's messy. It's, you know, that's what it is. And so um, getting comfortable with that Discomfort and messiness is crucial for these task forces and tax committees to to actually not be taxed in ways that aren't beneficial.
2: Yeah, you're making me think of experiences I've had in higher ed, in particular, where um, you know diversity committees have made recommendations that diversity and inclusion becomes some kind of metric on a performance review, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a way to embed a commitment um, to diversity and inclusion initiatives, attitudes, behaviors, uh, however it's framed, like kind of Mm -hmm. from the bottom to the top, to the top, to the bottom in an organization. But I actually think that that is highly problematic because the standard to which you are going to be held as an employee is entirely dependent on your supervisor's commitment to the issue. Right. So if your supervisor has no interest, no training, um, you know, is a nice white person, um, then they might be like, oh, you went to the, a diversity conference, check, right? Five, <laughs> um, right, but really, right. what did that actually do? And then as you go higher up in an organization, you know, is the board of directors holding, you know, the head person accountable? Mm-hmm. Like, and so then you have this disparate kind of accountability system across your organization Yes. yes. born of this kind of like, "Quote unquote good idea," but it doesn't actually engender any change.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I think what's what's important. So let's let's pull that all together because I love what you just said. So you know, we have these um, people that are responsible for DEI being embedded into the work, but then it's inconsistent across the organization. Uh, that's just one symptom of many. That organizations think they know what they're doing, <laughs> and they really don't. And so they start scrambling to do all of these random uh, programs and initiatives and so forth, and they really have no clue what they need. It it really reminds me of that person that goes into the doctor's office and list all of their symptoms, and then tries to self-diagnose and tell the expert, the doctor, the nurse practitioner, whomever, tell the nurse, this is what I need. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is what I need. And you and I, as DEI consults and experts, turn around and say, mm, maybe you don't need that. <laughs> maybe you need something different. I have a different perspective on that. And so I think, you know, there is this scramble. and And the people who are Shoulder tapped as the DEI experts have lived experience as underrepresented folks, but that doesn't mean that they have the profession. So, my um, I I read this somewhere in a book, um, this was a month or so ago that said, (laughs) just because I just because I know how to use the bathroom, that doesn't mean that I'm a plumber. Right. Um, And so, you know, just because you know that you need to use DEI work and equity lenses and so forth in the work that you do from day to day, that does not necessitate you being an expert. Um, That simply means that you're aware (laughs) that there's a challenge um, and you can uh, communicate that to someone who could appropriately diagnose and, and provide some of those solutions that we're talking about. And that that may be some type of metric. That may be some type of institutional policy change. It may be, but you don't know if you can't see the full swath of the organization and have a little bit of distance from it. Because while you're in it, it's pretty tough, right? It's it's very much like, you know, swimming in that current. You know, when you're in it, you're like, oh, I had no clue I was curving around here. But if I took a few steps outward and looked at the entire context, the entire flow, then I could see, oh, you were headed towards some trouble, but let's let's adjust in this way. Avoiding challenges that you may not have even seen if, if you were in it, you may not have even seen. Um, so I think there needs to be some distance um, from the organization to properly diagnose and mm-hmm. let the experts handle it, please, I, I beg of you. Because what then happens is if organizations uh, move into this space of social responsibility and they don't call upon experts early. They're going to call upon us later because then we're now in this process right. of fixing. <laughs> fixing and disentangling and, mm-hmm. and trying to rectify wrongs that didn't have to go that route um, mm-hmm. if they had consulted with someone. So I think that's extremely important.
2: Yeah, I, I do think that's really important. And I think I can hear organizations, particularly smaller organizations, in endurance sports saying, well, we don't have the money for that. Um, Mm, And, you know, yes and no. Right. Because I think where you put your money also um, denotes what you value. And there's, there's a, there's a continuum here, right? Like if you're a very small organization that, you know, has very tight margins, sure. You don't have $25,000 to hire, a consultant to do, you know, a whole review of your organization for one year and be a coach and all of that stuff. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't hire a consultant to do some smaller pieces for you. Right. That perhaps are more incremental, um, um, not big ticket items. Maybe it's a couple of coaching sessions. It's a couple of focus groups with your staff or with your customers, you know, that would be, that would be helpful. Right. And that would kind of give you that zoomed out, um, perspective Mm -hmm. that you were just talking about. So I think that it doesn't have to be this like all or nothing proposition.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I I think you're right. I think, you know, with a lot of organizations, the first thing they think is, oh my God, we have to bring in somebody, you know, at least four figures, sometimes five figures. And we just frankly don't have that. And and I hear that. Um, I think too, though, that, you know, once again, that's a demonstration of your support, right? So um when I see, especially regardless of the state, when you see, you know, women-owned vi- businesses, minority-owned businesses, etc., many of, this, of the folks that do this professional work are minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, veteran-owned benef- businesses, etc. Um, it's a both-and. It's almost like a twofer, actually, when you invest in an expert to do this work. And I know uh, it, it sounds like you and I are doing a, sh- a shameless plug here, but if you really think about it with a equity lens, you know, you're doing a twofer, right? Because you are mm. financially supporting the very populations that you are saying you want to support in endurance sports. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's really crucial to think about um, and, and think about what you can do and what you can carve out. Or maybe there's an, an initiative where You need to raise the funds specifically to educate some folks in your organization. So what does that mean for you? And so, you know, I think it's something that we need to prioritize. And frankly, um, I I think it should be part of any organization's business plan, business strategy. Um, It's crucial because, you know, I I would imagine um, as a, a business owner of any sort that your business should follow the market. And who's against expanding their market? Very few people are against Mm -hmm. expanding their market. They want to expand it. And so I I see it truly, like I said before, an investment because you might spend four or five figures on a really good DEI expert and you might recoup that back in no time because you've now created um, very equitable ways to attract um, more of the market that you had been overlooking for months, years, even since the inception of your organization. So I kind of see that money kind of recycling back to organizations, if you will, at some point. Mm.
2: That's a really great point around it being an investment because I think that in endurance sport, we come back to the same issue that um, politics loosely – um mm-hmm. defined right, right which right. Uh, um it has no place in sport or in my organization that runs races or whatever it may be mm-hmm. um and so you know maybe it's begrudging maybe it's not you do some add on things right but it's not um inclusivity cultural change equity is not embedded in your strategic plan it's not embedded in your values um and you just you just think of it as this extra thing versus how it could be an investment and how an integrated approach actually, you know, could really help you in the long-term, right? A long-term strategy to um, diversify Absolutely. your your customers, your base, um, and expand your reach. And think about um, all of the business opportunities that that could bring you if you if you take the step to integrate versus just kind of like gluing this DEI issue thing on the side of your business, right? That will eventually just it'll just fall off like the spaghetti does. Oh, Um, yeah, absolutely. It's
0: it'll eventually fall off. And, you know, that's one of the things that I (laughs) I despise when it comes to, you know, corporate social responsibility and deciding whether um, deciding whether or how you want to, Uh, integrate DEI work into your organization is that oftentimes what happens if an organization invests in someone to come in to do strategic planning for them, that's not, um, culturally aware or uses an equity lens, what ends up happening is that someone spends a whole lot of money to craft a strategic plan that doesn't have any DEI anything in it. And then they end up spending more money to then create this addendum that's not baked into the overall strategic plan, Mm. which then um, compounds the problem and makes symbolically, symbolically makes it look as if um, it was an add on, which technically it was right. Um, And, it you're almost working against yourself by saying, we have a plan. We didn't bake DI into the plan, so we need to create a separate plan. And now we're too far stretched because we're trying to make two simultaneous plans that didn't communicate together work. That to me is like creating work, if you will. It's almost like, you know, riding a bike and and the front wheel is going forward and the back wheel is going backwards. It's like, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> you're, you're not all going to go in <laughs> the same direction at all. It's not forward thinking. It's not um, it's not strategic um, for a plan. And it has little to no momentum. Literally, it has little to no momentum because there's an mm-hmm. entire strategic plan that could legitimately say that, no, DEI was not a priority because if it was, it would have been in this plan. And some of these strategic plans are, what, three, five, sometimes 10 years. Do you want to wait out your 10 year strategic plan in order to start diversity and inclusion work that that could be to the detriment or to the death of your your industry if Mm -hmm. you if you did that
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i think you raise another great point i feel like i'm just like all about shauna today because she's had so many great points um (laughs) related to the the strategic plan i think you know businesses broadly construed so i'm i am painting a little bit of a broad brush here um think about strategic planning yeah, separately from how they might think about social responsibility or DEI, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. um, so, yes, they hire strategic planning consultants without any focus on, can this person also enable us to embed concepts of equity and social justice and social change into our strategic plan? So everything we do is pointing us in that direction strategically. Um could you even think about the strategic planning field, right? Like, a, what image gets conjured when we think about the term strategic planning in a business context, right? It's right, not. Right. It isn't generally this integrative approach to thinking about your organization and its um, identity or um, ability to affect change, um, kind of be- beyond its, its maybe its small purview, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, it's, I I wish, (laughs) I wish we were a little more visionary in how we think Mm. about strategic planning and endurance Mm -hmm. sports, um, because you're bringing up a good point, you know, are we, uh, as my one of my professors used to say, are we thinking down the street and around the corner with how we're planning? Or are we just simply making a big plan for what we see in front of us right now? And if that's the case, then we're just not doing it right. You know, we're, we're, that's more like time management you know we know what we're working with right now but we have to anticipate what we're going to experience down the street and around the corner and you know what we know now based on data trends and so forth I cannot wait until some of the other um, the newer census data comes out we're going to truly see what markets look like whether they're local markets state markets, you know, the country globally will know what markets look like, especially when it comes to endurance sports through a number of indicators. So are we planning for who we have in endurance sports right now because we're trying to simply maintain Mm. or are we thinking down the street and around the corner with our strategic planning around not only, you know, who in the future may be exposed to endurance sports, triathlon specifically, um, or who we hope to plan for. So I'm I had this great conversation yesterday, Lisa. I forgot to text you about it like I usually do. I text you in real time on lots of different (laughs) things. Um, But I had this great conversation because I'm in this little cohort that's um, thinking more critically about um, spirituality and all angles of religion or not in higher education. And this is my background in campus ministry and so forth. But specifically, we were talking about data, right? And how if we want to think about any type of strategic planning, we have to be careful with data. And some folks in that group um, brought up just the point around, uh, well, what if we collect the data and the data really doesn't say what we want it to say? So for example, what if we in triathlon were saying, oh, well, we um, we don't really have that many African-Americans in triathlon. So why put effort into this, right? Because we're looking at the data where it is currently. Well, I heard that person, but I think what we should do is that, of course, brace ourselves for whatever the data says, but even if the data still says that it's predominantly white, predominantly whatever, male or whatever the majority groups are, are we planning, strategically planning in endurance sports for who we have now or who we want in the future? I really don't give a hoot what the data says. Um, I'm surmising what it might say, but... Even if my thoughts or my little hypothesis wasn't true, it's a great starting point, but that doesn't predict um, how we plan for the future. We need to plan for who we want to attract to the sport, not necessarily who we have right now. It's it's a starting point, but um, we shouldn't be beholden or kind of shackled to the numbers that are there right now. And I'm sure we could dig up tons of mm. um, numbers on all different angles of endurance sports. But, you know, thinking down the street and around the corner is really yeah if we really want to um, build up the sport and continue to show this corporate social responsibility um, to, toward what end? You know, mm-hmm. what end, I guess, would be my, my question on that.
2: Yeah, and I think that that piece is really important to corporate social responsibility, right? Thinking in a visionary way, like you say, what do we want this landscape to look like, right? Who do we want to feel included? And if that isn't how it is now, what do we need to do To change it and integrating that model into your strategic planning or into your, you know employee discussions if you're a small organization like your staff meetings maybe having that conversation every week and developing strategies talking to people who know what they're talking about
1: um to go back to our
2: earlier point but rather than just kind of sitting on your hands and or or throwing your hands up and being like well this is the way it is now and there's not really much i can do about it um right that's right yeah yeah
0: yeah, well, and I, I love that, you know, we're thinking about right now, but thinking about the future. And you're so right, you know, with corporate responsibility, it, it has to hold what what we say. And in, um, in dialogues, we have to hold the both and, you know, the both and at the same time. So where we are currently and where we want to be at the same time. So I don't care if it says only one black person on the planet has ever done a triathlon. Okay, thank you. But I want that number to change. And so what will that look like? And what's the strategy that I have to put in place that's very logical and purposeful to make that happen versus this panic. You know, we we don't want this panic because I think that just kind of cripples us in, in many ways, or forgive me, let me take that ableist w- language back. Um, cause I'm working on at least I'm working. Um, it, um, prohibits us from doing really effective work mm-hmm. in ways that creates long-term change. See, I, see, at least I'm working on it. I'm working awesome. on it.
2: Yes, I just gave Shauna a big thumbs up when she caught herself there. You can't see that, but on the video, so. I'm
0: I'm working on it, y'all. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about here. Every single day we make a a faux pas and we have to uh, course correct. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I even make a second mistake when I'm correcting the first mistake too. So Mm -hmm. I just compound the issue sometimes. But (laughs) here we are constantly working on it, Lisa. So I appreciate that. Um, But yeah, I I think we have much work to do. And so given that, I I think maybe (laughs) if I had to highlight you know, two words along with this spaghetti analogy. is just simply, you know, the responsibility, mm-hmm. um, but also the panic. Mm. <laughs> oh my God, what should I do? So, you know, so for example, God forbid one of my kids or something was, was hurt or I, they were on the verge of being hurt, then obviously I'm jumping quickly and I'm going to handle it by any means necessary. Um, however, There also needs to be some method to the madness. So, um, for my my larger organization, that's my day job, my my bread and butter we just finished up our first um, organization-wide strategic plan. And one of the sections in that plan specifically is entitled, you know, work with urgency, but also work with patience. Um, Because there are going to be some things that are, that may actually take that decade to happen. um, Not because no one's working, but because there needs to be a pipeline that's filled in order for certain things to happen. Um, And so, you know, given that, I think, you know, um, one of, one of my favorite sayings, I'm going to mess this up, but one of my favorite sayings is around, um, um, work, work, like everything depends on you and pray like everything depends on God. So, you know, kind of this, you know, I'm going to influence everything that's in my sphere of influence, but if it's not in my sphere of, sphere of influence, that I'm going to um, wait for it to happen um, with expectation. And I think that's extremely important for us to do, even in this work in endurance sports, is that, you know, we tell us, we tell ourselves this all the time in endurance sports around, you know, work with urgency, you know, you have somewhere to be, yes, you got to hit that swim, that bike, that run, but also knowing that you're probably going to have weeks, at least weeks, probably months of training to put in to see the end result. So yes, you're handling everything that you need to handle, but you know that you have to build that up over time in ways that require your patience. Um, hoping that it will will uh, get you where you want to go, and hopefully it's that finish mm-hmm. line. Um, so there we are.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic way to wrap up this conversation, and I just want to underscore your comment there about working with urgency and with patience, So we encourage endurance sports Mm -hmm. organizations to stop panicking, stop throwing spaghetti at the wall (laughs) um, and seeing what will stick. Um, Pay for experts in the field to support you in this journey. And that can look Mm -hmm. a whole lot of different ways, right? It doesn't have to be a triple figure contract. Um, And just know that, yeah, you'll make some mistakes, you'll make some faux pas, but um, integrate integrate into your um, organization's strategic plan and vision for the future and down the road around the corner urgency patience there you go i love it i love it unfazed a podcast produced by live feisty media and supported by the outspoken women in triathlon summit edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay glassford email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at dr gold speaks or at outspoken women in try i'm lisa
0: i'm shauna thanks for listening stay unfazed folks see you next time